0: Welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the inner workings of the creative process. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. When the COVID pandemic started, all of us had to find new ways to keep busy. Shanti Hershenson, who was 12 at the time, decided to start taking writing seriously. Now 14, Shanti has not only written a remarkable 15 books, she's done the work to self-publish and get those books into several independent bookstores. Shanti talks with me about why she didn't tell anyone she had started writing, how her friends and family reacted, and how the young adult dystopian genre has shaped how young people see the world. She also shares her experiences using TikTok as a way to promote her work and help others start their own writing projects. Here's my conversation with Shanti Hershenson. Shanti, welcome to Follow Your Curiosity. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. So I usually start out asking people if they started on their creative journey as a kid or not, but in your case, that's sort of self-evident, but I still am very curious to hear how you got started with writing or if you started off with something else and then moved into writing.
1: So I think I've always really been a writer. Um, I have memories from very early elementary school of just writing these stories. And I actually, I have some of them like in the other room I just uncovered. However, it wasn't really something I wanted to do professionally, at least not until I was older. But um, once the pandemic hit, I was very bored, very lonely. And I just (laughs) sat down and I started writing a book.
0: I suspect that you are not the only one, but that's the first time that you seriously sat down and started writing something?
1: Yeah, sort of. Um, Before then, I had published these two novellas with a friend, but they were really not that great and they weren't like serious. And I still didn't really even identify as an author while I was writing it. But like once I just had all this time and I was like, okay, so maybe writing a book is not something I like can have to wait until I'm an adult to do. And I wrote and my first draft was really bad. But it was also really long. So uh, the first draft was, this is block my first novel. And it was 800 pages long. And that's way too long to publish. So I had to split it into three books. And I wrote the fourth book. But yeah, it it was really something. Um, I thought maybe I was going to write like a 20,000 word novella or something. And that turned out to be a 250,000 word novel. So um, yeah. A lot. Yes.
0: That's a lot. I think my MFA thesis was around... (laughs) somewhere around 120, 130,000 words. And that was too long. I was, uh, that was when I learned to stop putting two spaces after every period. And I knew it was ridiculous that it probably wasn't going to buy me that much space back, but I did it anyway. And I've never looked back. And I think maybe it got me a page, which was really (laughs) depressing, (laughs) but I know that feeling of, oh man, this is, this is way too long. Did you write other things before? The pandemic hit that that were different were you like writing short stories or poetry or playing around with stuff like that or was this just nope I'm just going to sit down and really do this
1: 100 percent short stories however they weren't <laughs> sorry um the short stories I did they weren't particularly long and often I would want to turn them into like a novel however I couldn't do that and uh funny enough Biomlock was actually originally going to be a screenplay Because I just didn't think that I was going to be able to write a novel, and I thought a screenplay sounded easier. And considering how things have gone now, I have completed zero screenplays and uh, more novels than I can count. So, you
0: you have plenty of time to write a screenplay whenever you want. So, when you sat down at the beginning of the pandemic, were you like, what did everybody else? think? Were they just like, oh, this is, this is great. This will just keep her busy during the pandemic. We won't worry about it. Or were they like, hey, you never know, go give it a shot. And you know, what, what was the, what was the situation? And I don't know if, if your teachers had any, you know, knowledge of what was going on or insight, or if it was just your family or your friends.
1: So it was like right in the summer of 2020. And um, funny enough, I did not tell anyone for a few months that I was actually writing a book. I would just disappear to um, my room for like hours and write and then come out. My parents would be like, what did you do? And I was like, oh, yeah, like I binge watched anime. (laughs) And (laughs) I did do that a lot, especially earlier on. I would just watch TV and write at the same time, which is probably why it took me so long to complete um, that first draft. Um, But eventually yeah, I did (laughs) um, tell them. And they were very impressed and they always, like, did believe that I could publish it and I did. So
0: <laughs> so you didn't have anybody saying, oh, that's just a nice little hobby. But you also didn't have anyone saying, yeah, yeah, absolutely go go do this because you didn't tell anyone. That's amazing that you didn't yeah. tell anyone. Was there a reason in particular why you didn't or you just didn't occur to you to do that?
1: I was just kind of scared to. So I don't even know if I told my friends at first. Then again, a lot of my friends were like, oh my goodness, you're obsessed with writing. You need to stop this. And I don't know. Um, that was about when I had like 50,000 words of Biomwock. So if they could see how many words I've written now just across all of my books, I think they would be horrified.
0: <laughs> I don't know if they'd be quite horrified at this point. <laughs> now that it's turned into a real thing. But it's fascinating that, that it was your friends who said you're obsessed and you need to stop. Cause that often is something that people hear from their parents. It's like, okay, you're spending too much time in your room. It's time to go outside, play a game, you know, do something or whatever. But it was your friends. Yeah. What did you think when they said that? How did you respond to them?
1: I was like, I mean, I'm not exactly obsessed. I'm just having fun. And also I was like, I mean, I think I told them, oh yeah, like 50,000 words. It's not really that much. Like I could make it a lot more.
0: Yeah. 50,000 <laughs> words is just national novel writing month yeah you know yeah did they listen to you when you said that or would did that just make them dig their heels in
1: they just kind of ignored me after that (laughs) (laughs) until i would send them the next word count when it was like a hundred thousand and then two hundred thousand and
0: yeah so when did they start to actually realize that this was a real thing and not just some Wild phase that you were going through, as much as friends tend to think that that's another thing parents tend to do.
1: So, for context, they were kind of really in disbelief and just, you know, being like, oh, you're obsessed. Like, all that was probably going on in the fall of 2020. Okay. And even I think, so I think they started to realize it around maybe March or April when I did start to kind of change my Instagram account to be more professional and started posting about the books. Still, they didn't really believe me. until I published um, my series of novellas, The Chronicles of Zaldelein. It was actually just the first and second book at the time. And I think they kind of started to realize it then, but not even until um, this book came out and Biomlock, which was supposed to be my debut novel, was still being edited. And then when Biomlock came out and it all kind of started coming together, then I think I started to be believed a little more.
0: Wow. I mean, this is an astonishing quantity of writing to have produced in two years yeah so how did you how have you managed to do all of this and i presume still do well in school and do all of the other things that you're supposed to do because there are people who essentially lock themselves away that don't manage to produce this much work in two years
1: um usually it's like school (coughs) i don't have much homework so it's kind of I try to do my um, writing first, then whatever schoolwork I need to do. However, I'm switching schools next year, and I think this is going to be a lot more of a challenge. I'm still going to try to get it done. Like, I will go and I will hide in the school bathroom and just write for 10 minutes on my phone and then return to class, which um, (laughs) kids don't try that at home, (laughs) (laughs) but it's like, it gets, you know, maybe a good 100, 200 words down, so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's all... It's all something you didn't have before. And you're actually, you're reminding me of my MFA program again. We had to read essentially one book every week and then write about it in on top of what we were writing on top of for most of us doing a full-time job. And so, you know, we all had our different ways of doing that. And I remember one of my friends saying, I am literally standing there with a book in my hand reading while I am stirring dinner on the stove. And I thought, okay, that's farther than I can go. (laughs) I can't focus well if I'm trying to read while I'm trying to do something else. But but yeah, like every, you know, 5 minutes here, 5 minutes there, it all it all adds up. That's yeah. still a lot of words on a lot of paper in a short period of time.
1: Yeah. I've um started to like add up the words, try to see. Yeah, it's a pretty big number. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah i mean just the fact that you know biome lock is 800 pages or was 800 pages in the first draft i mean that's that's massive yeah beyond massive (laughs) so how did your parents initially react when you told them i haven't been watching anime i've been writing novels
1: so by that point i think i let them read a little and they were really, really impressed. Uh, going back on it, the first draft was very bad. So um, it just got so much better. And they really did encourage me to publish it. They helped me not actually too much. I was kind of I researched it all on my own and they are still incredibly surprised by that. So like I found the cover designer on my own. I got everything done on my own. And at first I was actually telling them, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to traditionally publish. And they knew nothing about that. So I was just telling them all the stuff I learned about traditional publishing. And then I decided to self-publish. So then I had to learn even more on a completely kind of separate topic. And um they, they've been very supportive. <laughs> they also don't know a lot about publishing. So it's very, um, it's very funny.
0: I have a feeling <laughs> that they probably looked at the fact that you had done all this without telling anyone and then went and did all of that research on your own and decided that the best possible thing to do was to stay out of your way because you were obviously not going to stop, and therefore, you know there and and there's something to be said for this. I'm not saying for anybody who's who's listening who might be thinking otherwise, I'm not saying that that's just sort of like, yeah, okay, whatever. there there is real merit in you know, if somebody has that kind of energy in that direction and they obviously want to use it that way, get out of their way and let them do what they're going to do. You know, there are there moments when offering to help can actually get in somebody's way because they're already halfway there and you're back at the starting line. They're like, what? No, I'm over here. Get out of the way. So, so I think that that probably was a super wise parenting call on their part, you know, yeah. just sort of like be here to offer moral support and help where it's necessary, but otherwise this kid is going to do her thing. Just let <laughs> her do it. Yeah. That's amazing, and and I think you know there's also wisdom in the fact that you didn't tell anybody about it for a while. I think it's yeah. When you start something like that, it can be so delicate, and it's so easy to get thrown off. And it's
1: like I was so worried. Someone was being like, "Oh yeah, your idea—it's so stupid." I mean, it kind of was.
0: uh, (laughs) You know, first drafts are never good. (laughs) They're not supposed to be good. They're, you know, they are all the experimentation and all of the weird stuff that you figure out later. Oh, that really doesn't work. This seemed brilliant at the time, but no. Oh, yeah. And that's just part of the process. But that's also why they're so delicate. You know, somebody breathes on your idea the wrong way and it can all fall apart before you ever get a chance to actually let it turn into a real thing.
1: Yeah, definitely how I feel. It's like... (laughs) It's like so scary too.
0: Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that there is a tendency to think that if you don't want to tell somebody that you're doing something, and obviously it depends on what it is, but when it's a creative thing, you know, people are like, are you ashamed of it? You know, what's really going on that you don't want to tell anybody? You know, because we're such a... We're such a culture now that's obsessed with authenticity and, and transparency, and those are great things. But there are points where things need to be left in the dark to grow into whatever they're going to grow into, just like the seed that you plant in the ground, you know, it doesn't hit the sunlight until it breaks through the topsoil. So, so yeah, I think, I think your instincts are really, really good. Thank you. <laughs> So then when you decided to self-publish and you put the book out there, you started with the novellas, right? Yeah. How, how did that go?
1: Um, so the novellas got really good reviews. And then up to, actually recently, I got my first like really bad review. Uh, it was a 2 star review complaining about how I killed off too many characters and ended the book on a cliffhanger. <laughs> so, um, but like... Yeah, I was not too scared of reviews for Zala Lane. I don't know why exactly. I just wasn't. And they came really slow at first. Now the first book has like 15 reviews. It had 16 and then one got taken down for no reason. So um, it's like, I don't think I was really worried about kind of how anyone would see it. It was like, it was my first book. Um, later on, especially with like, you won't know her name. And then, of course, BiomLock, I got really, really nervous, and I would get a four-star review, and I would get, like, really sad. Uh, And then, yeah, BiomLock came out, and I had this whole target audience issue where I had promoted the book to the wrong target audience, (laughs) and then people who wouldn't like the book started reading it, and it was this whole fiasco that was very funny. Um, But yeah, now BiomLock has the lowest average on Amazon out of all my books, which is not that great, but it's not horrible. It could be way worse. (coughs) <coughs> but, like, now I'm more worried about, like, reviews, but I'm also not as much. It's, like, gotten easier.
0: Yeah, that <laughs> stuff does get easier over time. Though that, that review that you mentioned about killing off too many characters and ending on a cliffhanger, And I thought, they've obviously never heard of George R.R. R. Martin, have they? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, like, literally his trademark. <laughs> but um but yeah i mean it's it's fascinating that what happens first of all when you say that that one of the reviews was taken down i've had that happen too and i'm like why it's it's the weird ways of amazon i i think readers probably don't realize first of all we've talked on this podcast when I've talked to other authors before about how important it is to leave reviews and how helpful they are to authors. And literally you, you will be your author's favorite person if you go and leave them a review because it makes a massive difference to how Amazon helps that book be discovered and also whether or not somebody buys it. Um, but, but yeah, they can, they can take them down for no apparent reason and they're never seen again. And now they at least show reviews from other countries. Cause I had a couple from other countries for a while that wouldn't show up on the U S page. And I was like, why that's so stupid. Now, at least they're there. But, but yeah, Amazon can be really, really fussy with stuff like that. So if you do leave a review for somebody and it disappears, it's probably not anything you did. It's Amazon thinking that it's getting rid of fake reviews, even though, it's not necessarily getting the ones that really are fake at all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the experience of bad reviews also is something that I have talked about with other people before, but it's, it's wild how that hits you, you know, because it's, yeah. it, is, it's like, it's like your baby. It's like a part of your soul has just been attacked and it, it really does just kind of leave you in a very strange state for a while. Was there anything in particular that helped you get to the point where you don't really care about the reviews so much anymore?
1: I'm not really sure. It's kind of just like, you know, you keep getting more reviews and you get some good ones and then you realize that there are like more good ones than bad ones. And then that like really helps because then you can read them. Um however I just think like over time it's just gotten like easier. I used to really obsessively check my Amazon and Goodreads every single day. Uh, I think I checked my Amazon today, but I have not checked Goodreads yet. So it's like, I haven't checked it in days and that's like so much progress compared to how I used to be.
0: Yeah. It's, it's like, it's sort of like social media when you get into that place where it's like, I want to see how many likes there are on my post, you know? And this is the same kind of thing, only you have a bigger investment so it can have an even deeper effect. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is there anything that you found really helpful in terms of getting people to review your books?
1: Um, honestly, not really. Um, right now I've, um, like my most reviewed book I did a blog tour for, and that got so many new reviews for like really like in detail professional reviews. Other than that, I'm working, um, with like art readers for like all my new releases. Um, The God's Right Hand, although it has one review up for right now, even though I had several like a, more sales than I've had on any other book in the first day and it's like I forgot to put a note in the back of the book that says hey can you please review the books that's probably why um I should have done that now it's a little late for that um but it's like I think having a team of arc readers is just really really good um for the my next release what I'm doing is I'm I'm like it's not going to come out for months uh probably not until like June and I'm already trying to get ARC Readers for it, even though it's still being edited and they're probably not going to get it for another month. But if I can get all of these like ARC Reader signups, then when the book's released, I'll have so many more reviews. And that's what like, I'm experiment- experimenting with right now.
0: Yeah, I've seen that before. That seems to work really well. Yeah. Like recruiting people to kind of be on your, your review team. Which is also a challenge because if Amazon thinks for any reason that you, you know, bought reviews, that's when they go in and and start cleaning them out. But I have seen people do that, which is something that I didn't even think of, had no idea you could do when I published mine. And in retrospect, I think that would have been really cool. It also would have been a fabulous ego boost. But but yeah, I mean, I think that it it takes more (laughs) than just oh, you really enjoyed the book. I'm so glad. I hope you'll leave a review. I think there are a lot of people who don't understand how to leave a review, even though it's not hard. Yeah. Because when you're buying a book, you're not looking for the button that says leave a review. Even though it's right there, your eyes just sort of skim right over it. And, and yeah, and then also people just forget. they like, in the moment, I think they genuinely mean, oh yeah, I'll totally go do that. But 20 minutes later, They're worrying about driving home and it's gone. It's totally gone. So you talk about, you know, having the book edited and everything, but you're self-publishing. So who helps you to produce everything to get it ready to self-publish?
1: So I have like a writing coach slash mentor who helps me edit my books and just make sure there's no grammatical errors, which um there often are, especially my first drafts. And then there's some actually there's some drafts where there's like none. It's kind of scary. Um, and also like plot holes are very big too, because Um, I find that there are some, especially in the book. My current work in progress, I just untied this major plot hole, and I'm very happy about it, but it's also not entirely untied, so it's
0: very, very complicated. Do you plot ahead of time, or do you write by the seat of your pants?
1: Um, I do not really plot ahead of time, so that's probably why. I just kind of jump in there and just write. However, as I write, I will be writing down notes for things I want to have happen next and stuff like that that does end up becoming this very um, detailed outline.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that, you know, I've heard people say when you you don't plot ahead of time, you are still doing the plotting and you're still doing the outlining, but you're doing it in reverse. You're kind of reverse engineering from what you have. Yeah. Which is, for me, part of the fun of it because it feels like a puzzle as you read through it. You go, oh wait, (laughs) you know, this thing happened in chapter three. And then when I refer back to it in chapter eight, it's not the same. So which one's it going to be, you know, or this random comment here should have meant something. What does that mean? And how can I work it in? I find that a really fascinating part of the process. I don't know about you.
1: hundred percent.
0: Yeah. It's like, it's like a challenge. It's like the way that you put it to untangle it is really, I think probably the right word. And then what does untangling it tangle up in course? And then you get to go untangle that and yeah. So, so who is your writing mentor, if you don't mind me asking? Is it a teacher, or is it a family friend, or did you hire someone?
1: I hired a fellow. I hired a fellow author.
0: Oh, excellent. Yeah, excellent.
1: And it's like super helpful because I think I'm trying to remember when that was. Actually, it was like almost two years ago. Um, right as I was writing biome and I was just confused because I was about twelve or something. I was thirteen. I did end up turning thirteen. <laughs> and I was so confused, if I'm being honest, because like I think by then I was still planning to traditionally publish. I was just trying to write and I was barely writing. I think there are some days where I would not write for like a week, and that's not good. I have, I genuinely write every single day now. Um, and yeah, I, like i really needed help.
0: Yeah, which is also a fair point for anybody who's doing anything, everybody needs. Some kind of outside input, both to keep you moving when you're feeling like eh, nothing's working and also to keep you from running wildly off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. So is this somebody who has, you know, published a lot or taught a lot or is it somebody else who is roughly your age?
1: Uh, an adult. So.
0: Okay. Very cool. Yeah. I think it's always good to have have folks like that so where does your mentor see your writing going do you ever have conversations about that
1: um sometimes it's like honestly everything just kind of is going up now and it's like all my writing is getting better and each with each book release I feel like often the book does better it's just the reviews that I struggle with because like my last release was my best one but it has less reviews than most of my books so it's very annoying um I do think, like, everything's kind of going up. I um, did my first, like, kind of book signing yesterday. It was virtual, though. And I have a, um like, actually in person one scheduled for June. So it's, like, everything is just kind of getting even realer now if it can get any realer.
0: <laughs> How does a virtual book signing work?
1: So um, the way it worked was it was a bunch of local authors. Actually, I'm not technically a local author because I don't live in L.A. anymore. But, um. And what happened was we got on Crowdcast and there was a whole audience and each of us was allowed to present our book for like 20 minutes and read from it and then take questions. And then they had the links to buy the books from the bookstore um, that you could go and buy one.
0: So there's no actual signing. You're not like signing a book plate and sending it to people or is that part of it too?
1: Unfortunately, no. Yeah. I really wanted to sign them. I will sneak We're into books bookstores like that. that have my books and sign them.
0: So... So you managed to get your books into bookstores as a self-published author. Yes. You really did your homework. <laughs> Thank How you. is that working these days? Cause when I looked into it and I don't think a lot of people know this because people certainly said to me, you know, can I buy your book at Barnes and Noble? Like you can buy it there online, but you can't buy it in the store. To get a book into a traditional bookstore is complicated and often expensive, unless this has changed in the last couple of years, because bookstores have a deal with publishers that they can send back whatever doesn't sell and get, you know, their money back for it. So most self-published authors aren't in the situation where they can afford to do that and to abide by that kind of deal. And therefore their stuff doesn't get into a bookstore. So I'm very curious to know what you managed to do.
1: Um, so what I did is actually this is for one in particular, is that I genuinely just stopped by and dropped off one of my books and just like kind of talked to them. And it was an independent bookstore. So that really helped. Mm-hmm. And um, next thing I know, they called me and were like, oh yeah, so we put your book on the shelf. <laughs> um the only way is um, yeah, spending money and um having a consignment contract with a bookstore does really help. Otherwise, <laughs> it's kind of like you need to have your book on the available platforms and like I think it's IndieBound, which is where they buy the books from and talk to them about it and like kind of explain who you are and it genuinely
0: worked so how many bookstores have your book on the shelves
1: I'm honestly not sure it's a few of them I know there's like two maybe in my area and I think there's one in LA and I do not I gotta tell you I don't know um it definitely varies Uh, Another thing I'm starting to notice because I have people reach out to me and tell me their school library has my books now. Oh, how cool! (laughs) And they've like sent me photos, and it's that one's very interesting because I don't know how that happened, but uh, yeah, someone's librarian bought my books.
0: (laughs) That is awesome. I think there's a lot of merit. People overlook libraries too, and I think there's so much merit to having your books in the libraries. I mean, yeah, multiple people are going to read them, they're not each going to be a sale, but. It's also people who know your name and are going to look for your books and tell people about your books and there's a lot to be said for that.
1: Yeah, 100%.
0: Yeah. So I know that you do a lot like on TikTok with your books and I'm curious to hear how that works because TikTok, I don't know how many of my listeners are really familiar with TikTok cuz it feels like it's sort of like the the little less known social media account that gets attention for random weird things and people think that it's all just people doing strange dances and stuff which is not true but tiktok is also like a really really powerful way of getting your workout. it's much easier for things to go viral on there so how have you found tiktok works for you
1: so i created my tiktok account in about of uh, i think was it july 2021 20, i think like right towards the end of july and I just started by saying, hi, I'm a 13. I was 13 at the time. So I said, hi, I'm a 13 year old author. Um, This is, I think it was my fifth book. And um, this is what it's about. And I started doing like tutorials and it's like, here's how you can easily write a book. And here's how you can self-publish a book. And then people would start like giving requests for videos and tips. And it kind of just started to blow up. I've also utilized TikTok advertising to get videos, especially about my books and new releases out to more people. And it's just all kind of Kind of gotten bigger and bigger, <laughs> and now I have um, over twenty thousand followers, and I have a lot of people who genuinely like. They just they think I'm really cool, and they want tips, and they just will support my books, and they'll go and buy my books, and it's genuinely really really cool.
0: That's fantastic. What kinds of things do they tend to ask you?
1: Um, the biggest question I've gotten asked is how do you stay motivated while while writing, which is an easy question to answer and not an easy question to answer because it genuinely varies so much. So I just usually tell them the same thing. So I'm, I have several videos saying um, kind of what I do. Often I'll try to vary the tips a little so there's more kind of that they can get out of, out of each video and it's not just the same thing. And then I also get asked like, you know, how do you publish a book? So I have several videos on that. And one of them actually is how to print your book without publishing it. And there's just, like, all this kind of stuff that I can make videos about and teach people
0: how to do. How to print your book without publishing it. Do people ask for that? Yes, a lot. Wow. Wow. I would not have thought of that as something that people would would want to know. Did they say why?
1: Nope. <laughs> 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 they just, they want a printed book and... Um, <coughs> It's like I have this tutorial up on how to do it. And it's like, I don't know. I actually usually print my books before publishing it as proof copies. So like I have Mm -hmm. like literally first drafts of books. And this is one. This is going to be my next release. And it's not published yet. But I do have a printed copy. It's like people, they just want printed copies of their books, I guess. I kind of relate to that because I used to really want like a printed copy of my own book, even if I didn't publish it. But usually publishing was always something I had in mind. So I don't know if these people also have it in mind.
0: There is something about seeing your book as an actual book for the first time.
1: hundred percent. I think that's definitely like the biggest part of it for some people.
0: Yeah. Like, I don't care if I sell any, but I want to see that it looks like a real thing, you know? And, and it is, it's, it's like, you know, when you, you know, when you've written it, when you've worked on it and whatever, you know that it's a book, you know that it reads just like a book, no matter what format it's in and everything. But there is something definitely about, oh, wow, it's a real book. Yeah. It, it just like takes your whole concept of what you've done to a different level. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing, though. I would not have guessed that people would ask about that. What, what has surprised you that people ask you? Hmm
1: um let me think that's a really good question um honestly anything I get asked can be a surprise I have people asking me how to kill off characters which come to think of it maybe that's not too much of a surprise I do do that a lot um but I got asked how to write a murder scene and I'm like uh I don't know you g- google it or something like <laughs> I'm pretty sure if I make a tutorial on how to do that I'm gonna get on a list or something so yeah 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 you might, might get my
0: tiktok account banned Well, and you also have to wonder why somebody's asking that.
1: Do you want to write it or do you want to do it in real life? Yeah. Please specify.
0: Yeah. (coughs) And that's not necessarily, I I mean, that may be a completely unfair thing to say. It could be that somebody's genuinely curious to know how that works. But but yeah, I would be kind of reluctant to touch that one too. Yeah. For that very reason. Sort of like, I don't know if if these jokes still circulate, but. 10 or 15 years ago, you would see things online where people would be like, dear FBI, I'm not planning to rob a bank. I'm writing it for my novel (laughs) because they're out Googling how to rob a bank and hoping that nobody is going to see their search history and come after them.
1: Like, I always write the most, like, concerning scenes when I'm at school. Like, I don't know why it happens, but I had to write this really, really concerning scene where a character's, like, secret was found out by the villain. It was really bad. And I wrote it during school. And um, because I, I, I used to do creative writing as an elective, and I would just write. And I just kept, like, kind of sneaking. I was, like, looking over my shoulder. I was, like, hey, teacher, I'm not writing anything concerning. This is just for my book. It's fine. And it was very, very scary.
0: Yeah, because especially in the school environment, that is a tricky line, you know, because I've taught, too. And, you know, if you have any reason to believe that a student is going to harm themselves or somebody else, you're obligated to say something. And nobody really wants the embarrassment of, oh, it was just for the story she was writing. But by the same token, you also don't want the horror of, I thought it was just for the story they were writing, and now something terrible has happened. Yeah. So... Yeah. It's a, it's a tough line to cross. I'm sure that you've had moments where you were surprised by the realization that you had to write something like that.
1: Oh yeah. I was like, I had planned out this scene. It was really dramatic and kind of scary. And then I actually wrote it and I was like, okay, this is really bad. I don't like this. Um, And I was like, dude, should I just take this out? Like people are actually going to read this, Uh, considering that it's like actually still in the book. um, Yeah, it hasn't been taken out yet. Cause it's like, it's really, it's like the most important scene in the book, but
0: it's so over the top. Well, and you know, when you first realized that you had to write something that was going to be unpleasant, how did that, how did that realization hit you?
1: Gotta say the first time I realized that was actually with, The Nightmare of Zaldelein, and actually The Curse of Zaldelein, too. The third book is okay. Um, Just because this is technically in the horror genre, there are a lot of very concerning things in that book, and uh, the main character is 10, so it makes it even worse. Um, But, like, not to spoil the first book, but it ends with um, a very, very big plot twist that Is very very concerning, and um, that's probably what the reviewer was complaining about so much. Um, and it's like I just kind of wrote it and then read over it and was like, "What the heck is this? Why did you write this?" And I couldn't figure out a better way to change it, so I just published it like that and then went on to the second book and the third book, and um, I'm too scared to reread them. So,
0: how have other people reacted to those scenes?
1: um been very shocked by the plot twist they've also really kind of a lot of people have really liked and be like oh yeah this is horror and then some people have complained it's like why do you torture your characters can't you just let them be happy for once um no I cannot I love to torture my characters <laughs> N- none of them are happy just know when you're getting into my books they're not going to be happy
0: has anyone ever tried to say that you know a scene like that was inappropriate for you to have written because of your age
1: not really just yet um i'm a little worried about never dying actually because that book's um i don't know it just doesn't feel like it was written by a 14 year old i don't know why it's just there's actually a romance plot line though it's not anything bad and um there's like a lot of violence and i feel like i'm going to have some people complaining about it
0: what do you think you'll say to them if that happens?
1: I'm not sure. I think I'm just going to be like, I mean, it's not terrible. Like, would you, would you complain if an adult would have written it? You know, like all this murder. I mean, it's actually not that bad. It's just the whole kind of concept of that book is very dark. So.
0: Yeah, because I can hear, you know, some people's, you know, being, as a friend of mine would say, clutching their pearls over something like that. And, I, you know, I think that, there are definitely kids you would want to worry about that from, but at the same time, it's, there are so many variables that go into that. You know, you are 14, not 11 or 10, Yeah. you know, and it's not, it's probably not anything that the average 14 year old doesn't see on TV all the time or in video mm-hmm. games or anything like that. And yet people get really worked up about things like that because somehow they decide that, you know, you've been exposed to something that you shouldn't be exposed to and you need protecting. And then it's, where are this girl's parents? And, and it, it's funny because it, you know, there are moments for that. You know, if, if you were shooting up a school, that would be a completely appropriate thing to say, but that's not what you're doing. You know, it's really just words on a page.
1: Yeah. It's like, I feel like there's nothing in never dying that's worse than your average young adult book. But just because it's written by a 14-year-old, people will get, like, worked up about it and be like, this is not good. You shouldn't be writing this. But it's, like, the average book that 14-year-olds read. So, you know.
0: Yeah. So do you consider most of what you write young adult, or do you consider them different genres?
1: I mean, they're all for, like, a young adult age level. The Specific genres of them usually differ, but mostly they're just, like, YA dystopian, which is... a. you know, I, I'm in middle school. I'm having my YA dystopian phase too, okay? Um, <laughs> and then the book I'm writing right now is also, again, dystopian, but it's also for maybe a younger audience. Um, that actually depends because usually I'll start writing a book for a younger audience, and I'll get tired of that and just make it another, like, a dark young adult book. So um, that's usually how it happens. But yeah, I do think young adult for, like, all of them.
0: And and YA dystopian has been such a huge thing for so long. I mean, possibly since the beginning of YA as an idea. And it, it, there was a a big controversy maybe 10 years ago because I can't remember if it was tied to a specific book or not. It might have been. But there was an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal where someone, again, with the the pearl clutching, was saying this is terrible that all of these YA books are so dark and horrible, and why are we doing all of this to our children? And and she was widely shredded online. <laughs> and the best rebuttal to that op ed came from Sherman Alexie, who you know, among other things, wrote the absolutely true diary of a part time Indian, which is a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful book. Arguing that you know, first of all, kids aren't stupid. And they know that the world is a dark place and that the best YA stories, I think, and I'm going purely on memory here. So I could be very wrong about this, but for some reason, the line, you know, like the, the best YA stories are written in blood comes to mind. And he made a great argument for why, you know, kids need to know what the world is like, cause they already know. And, you know, trying to pretend that everything is sunshine and rainbows all the time is, is just going to annoy teenagers in particular, you know, cause, Cause when you're at that age, you know, what's going on. And the last thing you want is for somebody to pretend to you that, that it's better than it is. So I'll see if I can find those links. The last time I went looking, they were still up, but they, cause oh they're, it's, it's a fascinating read. I don't know if the discussion is still going on. You know, it might've been the hunger games that brought it on. Or That's else it right. Was right about when I was reading the hunger <laughs> games, one or the other. Um, I you know, The Hunger Games is is brutal, but it's an amazing metaphor for the world that we're in. And I think any intelligent kid knows that. Any kid who's been paying any attention at all knows that. But since you are at that age, I mean, what do you think about that?
1: I think, um, oh gosh, my voice again, sorry. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I think why dystopian is very often reflecting on how our world is now And I think the readers know that. Like, I mean, yeah, they're not dumb. They're going to realize that. You know, there's, I feel like there's a little truth to everything we write. So.
0: Do you think that it impacts your view of the world and how to respond to things that are even vaguely dystopian in the world?
1: Yes, and no. I think I'll be, you know, writing and, you know, because I write a lot of dystopian. I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but I'll, you know, write a lot of dystopian. And then I'll go and I'll see um, something. I mean, usually it's just like downtown LA is now. It's very, kind of feels dystopian. And I'll be like, this kind of looks like it's from a dystopian novel. But like, are we, are we sure it's like the dystopian novels just aren't a little too like real life now?
0: You know? It's an interesting question. Yeah. And because I remember seeing a comment on, on Twitter and I can't remember which particular injustice it was responding to but it was basically saying we've raised our kids on all of these books that tell them how to fight the evil government or the evil tyrant or the you know company or whatever it is and now you think when they see something evil they're not going to go fight it? Yeah exactly like
1: you know we've all grown up on these books and that's how we kind of raised a little
0: Yeah, I was very surprised when I saw Timothy Snyder, the history professor from Yale, describe Harry Potter as a how-to guide for how to survive, you know, a totalitarian regime. And and he even said, you know, if you don't believe me, go back and read it again. And just thinking about it, you know, like the, um, oh, shoot, now I can't remember what it was called. I mean, you had the defense against the dark arts class, but you also had, you know, like the underground movement you know, where all of the students are getting together to learn how to defend themselves and and I thought, yeah, okay. I think you have a point. Yeah. (laughs) I had never thought about it that way before, but it, it, you know, obviously is not an exact replica of what you could do, but you certainly can use it as the basis pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that kids your age realize that, or do you think it's just kind of baked in on an instinctive level now that they've read so much of this stuff
1: i'm not sure it's kind of like i think a lot of them do realize it but also it depends on the person it's like some people just read it and be like oh yeah this is fiction this could never happen in real life and other people are like this is a good lesson
0: yeah (laughs) well and even thinking back to the the uh trying to figure out how to say this without getting political and I don't think I can, um, the Trump rally in Oklahoma two years ago where they were convinced they were going to have a sold out arena and it turned out to have been kids on TikTok who were getting the free tickets, but had no plans to go from, you know, all over the world is a really clever thing that I don't think anybody had ever thought to do before, but obviously they felt that this was a necessary move and something that they could, you know, kids don't necessarily have the budget to get up and travel and go do something and protest and whatever. And yet, in a way, it was more effective than a protest. Yeah. It got lots of media coverage. It didn't look good for the people who were organizing the event, especially when it came out that, you know, it was a bunch of teenagers on TikTok.
1: Yeah. And then um, TikTok almost got banned right (laughs) now.
0: just following through with that dystopian theme (laughs) yeah so i i don't know i hope that kids in your generation will have that kind of cleverness and ingenuity when they see things that seem wrong that they think that they can influence somehow for the better yeah i do too do what kind of response do you get from readers who are your age when they check out your books. I mean, I don't know how much you can tell because reviewers on Amazon don't necessarily say I'm 64 versus I'm 16, but, but I'm curious to know how, how other kids are responding to your books.
1: So usually um, I'll know when they read it, by they'll DM me and be like, oh my goodness, this is so cool. I loved your book. Or they'll just straight up comment on my TikToks and be like, oh, I just read this book. It's so good. Um, so usually I think the um, response from teens is usually more positive than that from adults. I have a lot of adult fans and they'll just go and read and review my books and go and buy more. So it's kind of, I think it varies more on the person than their age and like the per- someone's personal interest is like as opposed to their age.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. And yeah, there is a very dedicated adult YA audience, which some people think is ridiculous and you should grow up and read other books. But I think those people don't realize how really good YA can be.
1: I think it's like, there's just something about it, especially the characters, you know, are around my age that it's just like so cool. And I think like adults that read YA are like, the
0: coolest. So <laughs> you I, I think books. I think some people think that, you know, reading YA is the same as reading picture <laughs> books, which it's not at all. I mean, YA stories really get into some really difficult issues, whether it's fighting against evil or difficult family situations, you know, I mean, the sky is the limit with YA. Yeah. So, what are your next plans i mean you're obviously still working on new stuff how how have you i don't know if you have figured out you know how to map your new books along with school obligations and things like that
1: so usually i don't really plan like my next releases that far in advance however i know for sure at least unless i decide to release um this other one that I have almost done and almost done being edited. Um, It's probably going to be Never Dying, which is going to be my 11th published book. I love this book so much. Okay, this is the, if I do say so myself, this is the best book I've ever written. Um, I could say a million really good things about it. It has, I think, the strongest plot, the strongest writing, just literally the strongest everything. And um, if you want, I can explain the plot, though it's very complicated. Um, So it's another dystopian, of course. Uh, My sister said it's like Divergent. I've never read Divergent, so I don't know. Um, But it's basically in this future, there's this doctor that created this kind of genetic kind of mutation, I guess, that has made a certain amount of people immortal, but not everybody. And actually, I got to research the science of it a little more because I am not quite sure how that would work, but it does um, because I said so. And um, the government does not like this for two reasons. One, that could cause major issues with overpopulation if people can't die. And two, it's not fair. Because if not everyone's immortal, then it's not fair. Um, and it follows the ma- two main characters. One of them is Cain. And Cain is an exterminator. He is sent to exterminate the immortals using this special serum that can kill them. Because like, of course it has to happen. Of course. And, um... Then there is Scarlet, and Scarlet is, you a know, mortal in hiding, and she does not really want to do anything with her life, or eternity, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, you know, she can't just stay hiding forever, and when she goes out just for a walk for the first time in, like, three months or something, she encounters Cain, and they meet, and they kind of really hate each other because, um, but Cain has a secret. Because he's also immortal. So he no one's supposed to know that. That's not a spoiler though, because I literally put it in the blurb. So
0: <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. That sounds really cool. Thank you. Yeah. Especially since there is technology now that people are speculating will make it possible to just lock in a certain age and never get any older. And I really don't know what I think about that for some of the reasons that you mentioned but also just in yeah. general i i don't know but but no that that sounds really cool thank you so when is that one coming out um hopefully june okay i am
1: not entirely sure but um yeah either may like late may or june
0: so that may be out by the time this goes out yeah in which case people can check that one out too <laughs> very cool well so do you think that there's any question at all that this will be your career path? Or do you think that there are other things that you want to explore? Like when you get to college, things like that, that might either tear you away or make it a side effort.
1: Gotta say everything I want to do somehow related to writing. Like I've thought about maybe being an English professor or uh, i doing screenwriting, but usually it's all related to writing. So
0: screenwriting could be fun. <laughs> yeah especially because it feels like you're writing the kinds of things that could easily end up on a screen. Yeah. Has anybody ever talked to you about any kind of movie TV stuff? I've talked
1: about it with people it's like, it would be so cool. Right. And I feel like I try to write my books in a way they feel like a movie to the reader. So there's not like just overly just kind of dragged out scenes, except for when I write, every time I write in third person, it's a lot more dragged out and kind of boring, but all my really, really good dystopian books could be, I feel like movies really easily, except for Walk*, That's way too long.
0: Hey, that's what movie series are for. That's true. Right? I mean, how many Fast and Furious movies are there now? Six, I don't know. Yeah, so, you know, and there's also the Lord of the Rings example. Anything, anything is possible. Yeah. So I, I just think that this is amazing that you have managed to create this much stuff and do school and be a kid in two years time. Thank you. Is really, you know, I'm kind of wondering. I'm sort of picturing Calvin and Hobbes in my head, you know, where he has like the Calvin that has to go to school and the Calvin that stays home and has fun. And I'm kind of wondering where you're hiding <laughs> with the Shanti that has to go to school. <laughs> but but still, it's it's so impressive. And I love your enthusiasm and the fact that you have just literally grabbed the proverbial bull by the horns and gotten your books into independent bookstores and just made all of these things happen. It's an incredible accomplishment for somebody your age. Thank you. So I, you know, wish you the best of luck. And thanks so much for coming and talking with me today. Thank you so much for having me. That's this week's show. Thanks so much to Shanti Hershenson for joining me. And thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and share it with a friend. I really appreciate your support. You know, I talk to people all the time who are feeling totally lost, overwhelmed, and stuck creatively. And I know there are lots more of you out there who are feeling the same way. So I made something to help. Check out the link in your podcast app for my Creative Tune-Up Kit. It's 37 bucks, super affordable, and it's full of my favorite coaching tools to help you rediscover your creative self and make progress fast. I would love to get it into your hands so that you can get unstuck and create beautiful things this year. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners.